With us today is the fine author Rob Mish, who has written a great book. It's titled 11th Heaven. It's about a guy that pretty much everybody loves. I mean, he was a great star for UCLA, and me as a USC grad, as I told you before, I like the guy, Ed O'Bannon. What a wonderful guy, and what a real hero beyond what he did even on the court. Yeah, for sure. If if you don't like Ed O'Bannon, then you've never heard him talk. You don't know him. You've never met him. You know nothing about him. If you meet him and shake his hand and he looks you directly in the eye, um, your whole view changes about him. He is just the most stand-up person um, I've ever met in my life, probably next to my dad. That's how high I regard him, yeah. Wow. Well, you know, he was guy. He was going to go to UNLV, which was a powerhouse, yeah. and sure. uh, you know that's back. Was was Tark there, or was he gone by them? Tark was there. This was. Uh, let's see. They had won it in 1990. Uh, that would have been April 1990. In February 1990 is when Ed oh. took his official visit to Vegas, and uh, the story of his official visit is its own chapter because it's just, I mean, you talk about a kid, any kid in the country who at that time is, is watching UNLV's fast break, just dynamic style. Once you visit and see it with your own eyes, oh, my Lord. And he was taken, he was wined and dined at uh, uh, Siegfried and Roy show at the Mirage with a plush booth. Dr. J walks in, says hello. He's sitting with Larry Johnson and Stacy Ogman and, uh, I think he was doing flips all the way back home. I think it was just uh, a done deal at that point. Yeah. And so UNLV wins it in 90, and then um, obviously they blow up Duke, and then in 91, Duke gets its revenge in the national semifinal game. I've heard plenty of people who who kind of uh, daydream about, let's see, in that 91 national semifinal do you think Ed O'Bannon might have been worth three points? Because that's all UNLV would have needed to beat Duke. They were they finished, uh, uh, what did they lose to him by, I think, two points? Right. So people will say, yeah, we think Ed would have been worth three points. Well, yeah, I think Ed O'Bannon would have been worth three points in that game. But it just goes to show you that uh, what UNLV had going was a dynamo. I mean, that would have been the latter-day UCLA for sure. But then the NCAA stuck its nose in and... Uh, it's very interesting and, and ironic, Steve, that uh, when you take that snapshot of time in 1990, what Ed wanted to do, he wanted to come here to UNLV, and then you see the NCA come in, whether they had the right to or not, and just ruin it all. Now, UNLV had its own people in its hierarchy who also dismantled the yeah. Golden Goose. But when you look back at that time and you see what the NCAA did, and then flash forward to today, and you see the stand that Ed O'Bannon has taken against the NCAA for the past eight years. Uh, it all makes sense, and it all kind of comes full circle. And to this day, he is so angered at how the NC2A, which is how uh, Tarkal has said it, and, and Ed says it the exact same way. It's not NCAA or NCAA. It's the NC2A. <laughs> um, what they did to... To UNLV will not be forgotten by Ed O'Bannon. And it's some of the impetus that he's had with this major lawsuit. Well, what's interesting is he ended up in UCLA, a place where, of course, when he was there, it was a little different. But back in the John Wooden days, yep. you know, everybody calls St. John. He's a wonderful guy and all that. But there was yep. stuff going on at that university that was every bit as, uh, you know, like there was in most big universities. But we used to yeah. see people driving around, you know, with Corvettes and stuff. And you go, how does a kid buy a Corvette? You know, buddy yeah. was the star of the Sure. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, uh, 
and I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I talked to Marcus Johnson about that about the whole uh, uh, era of um, oh it was Sam. What was Sam's last name? Yeah, was, I know. The, uh, yeah, right there with the car thing. Yeah, I know exactly yeah. who you mean. Yeah, uh, uh, it's at the tip of my tongue. Anyway, forgive me. Uh, Sam was the big booster who who did some questionable things, and so I had a fantastic four hour meeting with uh, with Marcus Johnson at the corner of uh, La Tierra and La Cienega, right down there in the heart of L.A. It was um, on the day before Father's Day, and just had a. I'm from Milwaukee, and so in my life, I have had really only two sports idols, Robin Yount and uh, Marcus Johnson. So wow. here okay. I was covering UCLA in the 90s, and Marcus, for a few years, was doing the play, the, uh, uh, he was a the color analyst right. for radio, and we'd go out to dinner and everything. And I mean, I could never tell him that, boy, Marcus, you were, you were always my idol. I never could say that, obviously, but to meet him and to know him and get to know him was, was just a just a treat. So when I talk and write about Marcus Johnson in this UCLA book, it's called Eleventh Heaven. Um, it's 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 personally it's some of the my most favorite writing that I've ever done in my life. But he's important to the book because he is the walking, talking link to the wooden era. And so when we got to discussing the um, Sam Gilbert is his name. That's when, right. When I when I was Pressing Marcus on Sam Gilbert, he was very forthcoming up to a point. And then he kind of rolled his eyes and said, geez, Rob, I don't know if I should be talking like this. And then Marcus said, uh, you know, I'm thinking about maybe one day writing my book. So he's saving some juicy stuff for himself, but he still gave me some great stuff. And what what I told you when we first started uh, this interview, um, the real nugget I wanted to convey is, uh, you know, Marcus is, he's the whole, he's so important to my book because he is the the bridge to the past. And so he was absolutely vital to me for so many reasons. But what I never knew, Marcus was a junior at UCLA, and one day he was walking across campus, and here he saw one of his best friends uh, walking across campus with a stroller. She was pushing a stroller. She just happened to be the best friend of the woman who would become, or who was Madeline O'Bannon. Ed's father, Ed Sr., played football at UCLA. So on this particular day, uh, Madeline O'Bannon's best friend was babysitting her firstborn little boy, whose name was Ed O'Bannon. So Marcus comes across this woman with a stroller, and Marcus goes, my God, I forget her name, so I apologize. Let's just say it was Mary. Marcus says, oh, my God, Mary, I didn't know you have a kid. Fantastic. (laughs) And Mary said, no, that's not mine. That's my best friend. That's Ed O'Bannon right in there. So as an infant, Ed O'Bannon was raised to the heavens that day on UCLA's campus by Marcus Johnson. And it was like there was, I'm not sure there was uh, lightning, but there was a passing of the baton there that was just beautiful. So for me, making connections and all that, that that was just an astounding story. So Ed laughs about it today and 
to this day. And Marcus remembers that just like it happened yesterday. So that was just fantastic. Yeah, that's great. And the, the, the book is full of those stories. And of course, the big thing about O'Bannon is, you know, he was on an NC2A championship team. He was a great player, yeah. a great guy. No question about it. maybe that's the thing that rides through this whole story. But, but going up against the NC2A, when everybody kind of knew the stuff was going on, people don't realize how difficult that is. I mean, it's kind of like going up against the mob or something. It, it, it's gutsy. It's big time, yeah. And uh, if I can just backtrack just a little bit, just, just to give you a little bit of uh, the drive and determination of Ed O'Bannon. He, he, uh, and to tell you something about Tart, too, uh, Ed was totally all in on UNLV, but Tark only wanted a verbal commitment. He did not want a written commitment because of the pending, the looming NCAA cloud. Tark told Ed, listen, just give me an oral. Because if you give me a written commitment, it'll be that much more difficult to let you out of that commitment. If you just give me an oral, if this stuff comes down and it's, and it's brutal, like it might be, then I can easily let you out of an oral commitment with one simple telephone call. So to that, you know, that just made Ed want to play for Tart right. even more. And of course, the NCAA comes down and he's let out of his commitment and then he switches his commitment to UCLA. It is, a week before practice starts in October 1990, and Ed is playing a pickup game at the Wooden Center, and and he comes down wrong and he just obliterates his left knee. He just uh, just absolutely. I'm sorry. It's his, it's his uh, it's his right knee, and and he comes down wrong, and the the damage is just incredible. Um, yeah, Steve, career's so, over, right? You know, you 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 know, at that at that time, it was you know Bernard King made a had made a comeback, and he was kind of the poster child of you know what if this happens to you, don't give up because you can come back. But for all intents and purposes, at that time, with what we knew about surgical procedures and whatnot, it was all but a career ender. And so, for Ed to come back and battle back, and and I detail all of those physical struggles for him to come back. Uh, his senior season ended up being just uh, an embodiment of just so much will and desire, and he willed and just – it's tough to put in words, but I used a lot of them in the book. So <laughs> it, he definitely it, – it, it marked uh, him getting to one heck of a mountaintop. But I explain all that to you because the most uh, the most bizarre scene that I took from doing that book is I ended up in – home of his surgeon in May 2013. He lived uh, in Malibu and he he had told me in a previous interview that he had a tape of the surgery. And it was just kind of, he said it and then it was disregarded and then I came home to Vegas, transcribed my tapes and then I, I came across that passage again and I kept playing it over in my head. So I called him right away and I said, uh, Dr. Shapiro, I, I'm not doing my job unless I at least ask you if I can come back out there and watch this, the operation. Wow. And, and he goes, give me a day. I'll go in my garage tonight. I think I have it. I think I know where it is. I'll call you tomorrow. He called me the next day, and he goes, he came up with it. I found it. And it was on a VHS tape. So when I went back up there to Malibu, he had only one TV in his whole house and it was in his master bedroom that had a VHS connection to it. And so I sat at the foot of his bed 
and watched the five-hour operation in which he repaired Ed's knee. And the first 45 minutes are so gross. I don't like blood. And the first 45 minutes was just evacuating this just massive amount of blood that just kept coming. And then to see him with his, uh, I forget the name of the specific items, but he had his tools in there and he's showing me the flap of the ACL and oh my God, it was the most grossest and fascinating thing I have ever seen in my life. And I watched it for five hours and there would be moments where I would watch him watch it. And it was wild because his eyes were wide and he was very pleased with with what he was watching himself do on the tape. It was incredible. Um, so he, the big thing about the operation was, and it's still controversial today, he had his ACL replaced with the Achilles tendon from a cadaver. Wow. And... His ACL was was that much obliterated to where there was no way it could be repaired. So the whole the whole uh, primary focus of this operation was slipping this this Achilles tendon to become his new ACL. And uh, to this day, Ed and his family have no regrets. But basically, what that amounted to was when you see Ed O'Bannon in Seattle walk the ladder, walk up the ladder and take a snippet of the net, you have just watched him at the very peak of his athletic life. Yeah. Because from then on, it was all downhill. Uh, it was too much punishment on his knee. It was, um, it was a very difficult operation. And let's just say maybe it wasn't exactly a specific perfect fit. And that, that led to issues. But at the time, they had very few other options. So yeah, Absolutely. It's a great story. It's 11th Heaven. you got to read it. And there's way more than we cover here. 